Music Portland is the new trade organization for Portland musicians, music industry people, and venues. The executive director and several board members stopped by to update us on what Music Portland is up to right now. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we get an update on what's happening with Music Portland. If you don't live in Portland, look for your local trade association for sure. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Philip Graham, Jason Fellman, Mara McLaughlin, and Chris Young. We're going to do an update about Music Portland, the new trade association here in Portland, which represents everyone in the music industry fans, artists, manufacturers, labels, everybody. So what I am going to start is, Philip, you to start and everybody go around and just introduce yourselves and say who you are and what you do. I am Philip Graham. I'm the owner of Ear Trumpet Labs. We're a small microphone manufacturer here in town. We, we hand build sort of oddball microphones. Excellent. I am Jason Fellman of JFL Presents. I produce concerts, festivals, and I book bands, and I'm also a working musician. I'm Mara McLaughlin. I'm executive director of Music Portland. Yay. And I'm Chris Young. I'm the editor-in-chief of Vortex Music Magazine, which is a publication that exclusively focuses on the local music scene here in town. Excellent. And welcome, everybody, to The Future of What? Mara, let's get started with you. A lot has happened since last time we talked about Music Portland. So can you start just giving us an overview? Maybe the best place to start is the fact that meetings have actually started happening. Yes, absolutely. The most important thing for us after two years of roundtabling and lots and lots of board conversations, identifying what we already recognized were challenges, the most important thing was to get the feedback from the community. So we've been having gatherings of different collections of folks within the music ecosystem. So we've met with manufacturers and retailers. We've met with production people in studios. We're about to meet with record labels. We've met with venues and promoters. And then we've also been meeting with musical genre communities. So we've met with rock, which includes you know, all forms and stripes of rock music, country music, hip-hop, R&B, soul, and funk. And we just had an electronic tech synth dance music gathering. And next up on August 27th at the Hallowed Halls is Indie Folk and Americana, which we're hoping really stands up and represents because it's a huge community here in town. And actually on August 20th, which is Monday, it's the Indie Label meeting. That's right. That's right. So there's record labels and indie labels here in town meeting on August 20th at Marmoset. At 6 p.m. So I think this is going to go to air on Friday. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this over the weekend and you run a record label, you should come to Marmoset. 
yeah. on Monday at 6. Yeah. They've been really interesting conversations because certainly we find a lot of common things that are of interest and that are challenges for different communities. But we also find those little niche places. You know, electronic musicians need a particular thing that other musicians don't and that manufacturers have challenges that record labels don't face. So really assembling those and making sure that what we're doing is holistic. We're looking for the things that have a broad effect, but we also want to make sure that we're addressing individual challenges that but for some solidarity and focus and strategy, they're just not being dusted. So Chris, what have you felt? Because you you've been sort of instrumental in this since the very beginning. So where do you feel Music Portland is right now? Well, I mean, I think we've made incredible strides thanks to Mira, like really throwing herself full force into this. Because that's what it really takes, is it really takes someone to respond to all the emails. And it's like she's campaigning for <laughs> the city of Portland's musical legacy. Yeah, so I mean, it's been incredible because I know that all of us in this room constantly get emails and introductions and connections to people. And we just don't really have time to follow up on all of those things and respond to all the emails and, and you know, and actually meet up with all the people. So it's been really incredible to see the way that this has progressed really quickly just, you know, with someone actually putting in the effort to meet with these people, say hi, listen to their concerns, because in the end, like, that's really what everybody wants is they want to feel like they have a voice and a platform and a place to express themselves, you know, artistically, as well as hopefully successfully, you know, as a professional in the music industry. Absolutely. Philip, how has the response been so far to Music Portland in the maker-creator community? It's been positive, very positive from the people that we've reached. I think that sector in particular is really dispersed and, you know, we have a lot of trouble connecting with each other. So the people that we have gotten in touch with and the people that did come out for the gathering have been really enthusiastic. They totally see the point and, you know, support the, the vision. But it has been a little tough, you know, just getting our arms around that community. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the manufacturers are less conscious of a sort of local economy. They're a little less specifically dependent on, you know, most of us don't make our living selling primarily right within the city. But at the same time, we're, you know, our connection is maybe a little more, I don't want to say altruistic, but we are all really connected to the idea that we're only here and doing this thing because there is a vibrant music ecosystem here. So it's a little less direct to draw the lines for most of the manufacturers, but it's been a good response. Good. And Jason, how about the promoters? I mean, as a role? Yeah. Having gone to the recent venue owner and promoter gathering, which I thought was a huge success, the turnout, at least for me personally, like far exceeded any expectations I have. It was pretty wild actually to go an event like that and meet personally a bunch of people who we've all been dealing with by email for years. And so that was cool. But you could tell that the venues were really on board. The promoters who came were really on board with the idea that they were excited that something like this exists. Everyone was, you know, happy to make commitments. And I think that's going to be really important moving forward because I think you can argue that live music is one of the ultimate pillars of any live music scene. So to have an early level of commitment from venues and promoters, I think, bodes well for the future of Music Portland. 
So, Mara, one of the most important parts of this has been getting the website up and running. So, Mm musicportland.org is the website. People can go there right now. And when people go to the website, what are they going to find there? There's a lot of information. And this will be an evolving story. I think what we've heard from a lot of people is that when they come to these gatherings and they participate in a conversation and they hear about the things that we're working on and the way that what we're doing is holistic. So what we do for venues improves the lot for musicians, improves the potential for studio producers, improves the general economic well-being that benefit manufacturers. When you knit all of those stories together, people in these gatherings really get it. I don't think we've nailed it yet on the website. I think there's a lot of information there and it's a little enervating. So we're going to keep changing that because we really want people to understand this is an enormous opportunity for solidarity and the power that comes from it and that everybody should have a voice, you know, that everybody needs to be heard and supported and be economically and creatively viable in the city. Is there like a call to action on the website? There is. There are profiles. One of the main things that organizations like ours need is quantified data because otherwise you're representing a squishy creative community that everybody says, oh, sure, who doesn't love puppies? But puppies you can't support. You can't build policy around them. What we are doing in a very focused way is gathering quantitative data about what is happening here. So there are profiles, number one job for everyone. There's no obligation involved. Go to musicportland.org, and whether you're an industry member like a studio or a manufacturer, or you're a venue, or you are an artist. Pick your right track and create a profile that asks some very basic questions that are enormously valuable in aggregate to start to frame the conversation with policymakers and potential funding partners. So that's number one job for artists. By filling out a profile, they become a member of Music Portland. That's it. We are supporting them. For businesses, there's a small member due. That is an option. Do not fail to fill out the profile because you're not ready to become a member. That's okay. The data is valuable, and we want to prove out the value of that data. Chris, you want to tell us about this economic impact study that we're working on for Music Portland? Yeah, definitely. Like Miro was just saying, in terms of capturing someone's voice, We can all spend a lot of time having conversations with people and get a lot of anecdotal evidence of the way the city is changing or the way that certain people are making money or not making money. But, you know, really like bigger investors or corporations or the city are not really going to listen to anecdotal evidence. Like we really need hard statistical data behind that. So, you know, if you're filling out an artist profile, you know, it's what you want to know how much time you spend making music, how much money you make off of your music, you know, where you make that music, you know, and there, there will be some, some anecdotal kind of stuff that we want to hear on as well. But, you know, we really want to be able to put numbers to those anecdotes. And so that becomes an even bigger thing as a business because we want to know how many people are you employing? You know, we here, I think I can speak for all of Music Portland. It's like we feel very strongly that the music industry here in Portland, which a lot of people say there's a music industry in Portland, we feel very strongly that there is a lot of money in this industry and there's a significant economic and cultural benefit to this industry, but it's not quantified anywhere. Like no one really has the data on it. And 
even on a national level, it's really hard to quantify because I think several of us in this room were just looking at a report that Citibank put out that felt like that only represented data from major labels. So, you know, that that's a really skewed kind of story as well. So for us, we feel that Portland is a very unique place and has its own kind of unique ecosystem. And all the touring musicians that come through here say, you know, this is a very different place than LA or Nashville or New York or, or even Austin. So we want to get that hard data, those numbers, the, the economic facts and start to tell that story. And then ideally influence the way that we can make the music industry here less of a question mark and more of a a legitimate thing and more of a a permanent sustainable thing as well. Yeah, so it is enormous. You know, the the horse has left the barn to say we want to become a, we are a music city. We are an incredibly vibrant, for a city our size, we have a disproportionately large music ecosystem. So we've already identified 1,500 individual music businesses, which is, it's a lot of music businesses. And rough estimates, conservative estimates, say that we are hundreds of millions of dollars in annual direct revenue to the city. And that doesn't even include the uptick in bar and liquor sales at live music venues. That doesn't include the indirect influence that's already been confirmed that a big part of the reason that large corporations and employers are moving to the city is because we have this alluring music culture, which means they can be more successful in attracting and retaining talent in a competitive job market. So there are all of these things that have been accruing benefits to various people that are not the musicians and not the music businesses. We want to quantify those things with the 100 labels and 100 recording studios and you know nearly 100 manufacturers and 300 music venues where music is performed on a regular basis. Let's get those numbers in together because that is an unstoppable force in terms of policy influence.
was Without Applause by Horse Feathers. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Philip Graham, Jason Fellman, Mara McLaughlin, and Chris Young. Philip, do you want to tell us a little bit about the legislative agenda of Music Portland? Well, there are a couple of fronts. I mean, this is the other thing with how quickly this has gotten rolling is that, you know, even as we are sort of trying to get our our arms around the community and identify the community and hear back from it, there are a ton of issues that are already, we're already dealing with and, and trying to help with. I'd say it ranges from relatively small, well, not small to musicians, but, you know, one of the first things we started working on was musician parking at venues, designated musician loading zones at venues, which, you know, has a number of people have been struggling to try and get the city to deal with for years. And there've been a number of efforts and, you know, through the push for Music Portland and sort of identifying the large community behind that and that's interested in it. I want to give all credit to the Musicians Union that has been working on this for years. But there was something, I think, in the combined story of all of their incredible efforts on behalf of musicians, plus the Music Portland story of saying, this is everybody. And that's where I think you really start to have power in representing a collected industry. Yeah, exactly. And it ranges, you know, everything from that to the current national push for the MMA, in which our senator happens to be playing a... Yeah. a um, just happens to be our senator. Just yep. happens to be our senator and is playing a crucial role and could really hopefully be moved by some vocal leverage. And this, you know, Music Portland is exactly the kind of organization that can hopefully uh, express some some powerful voice on that. You know, it's that and it's everything in between. You know, at the state level, it's interesting, one of the biggest things that we've heard from every gathering that we've done is how everybody sees accessibility for youth, for underage access to live music as crucial. And that's, I mean, the recording engineers, the studios, we're all over this, as in even the manufacturers are like, yeah, we can't have a sustainable music community without, you know, engaging our youth in, you know, in being able to see live music. And, you know, ultimately that's a, that's a state issue that's, that's also been fought long and hard for, you know, by a lot of people for a long time. But that's exactly the kind of thing that I think some organized, economically justified leverage behind it can hopefully have a little bit of useful pressure on the state legislature as well. And I think it's also important to say, too, is that a big one of our tenants at Music Portland is that we never want to recreate the wheel. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like working with the musicians union on loading zones and working with, like Philip just said, there are tons of organizations that focus on all ages access, you know, whether it is Friends of Noise or Uncut or, you know, some of the ethos that has been around for a long time or My Voice Music. And so, Mm -hmm. like, again, I, I really think it's like, this idea of being able to collectively gather all of these voices together. And so it's like, if somehow, you know, Friends of Noise, you know, has their hands full of things. And if somehow we can take that, continue their voice on, you know, and and maybe take that to a city council meeting or even something at the state level, 
and, you know, kind of have this working relationship where, you know, we're fighting for the same thing. It doesn't really have to be Music Portland's project or initiative per se. We would be totally elated if there was a sustainable solution for all ages music, whether we had a part in that or not. It's, it's like something fundamental that we want to see happen. Another big issue that is very timely is the seismic update mandate on the unreinforced masonry buildings, which directly threatens 35 venues. And these are not small venues. This is Dante's. This is Laurel Thirst. This is Crystal Ballroom. This is the liquor store. This is lots and lots of significant parts of our music ecosystem. The next thing that's coming up is September 12th at City Council. They're voting on the placarding requirement. The placarding requirement would mark these buildings as unsafe. There's been little or no education about the difference between being unsafe in the face of a nine-point-plus earthquake or the big U's that you see on buildings that say, you might fall through the floor if you enter this space. We're also coordinating uh, collective defense of venues with the collective defense that's been mounted with churches, There are 34 churches that are on this list so that the Council of Churches has come together to really stand up and defend it. And I'm inclined to think if people won't enter a church building that has an unsafe marker on it, are they really going to go and see live music? (laughs) So since most of these venues are leased and not owned, the city posted this list two years ago. So developers have been hammering these building owners that there's this big looming mandated expense. The city really hasn't done anything to acknowledge or mitigate the impact on the culture that these sort of secular churches represent in our community, and they merit exactly the same kind of protections that other groups do. We all want to be safe, but let's be smart and not necessarily obliterate a significant portion of our music community. How does that affect the promoters? I mean, I think that the fewer venues there are, the more expensive every venue becomes. I mean, we we need good, viable venues. And for me, I think it comes down to, like, attitudes. I mean, whether it's the, the city and their policies or whether it's the public who's going out to see live music or whether it's promoters and venues underpaying musicians. It can be a variety of things. And so I think that, you know, at the root level, what I'm hoping will be an outgrowth of Music Portland is that we can change perceptions with the key stakeholders. So in the case of something like seismic upgrades, it's like, think through what the impact is, like realize that it's not just something, you're not just going after a real estate owner or something like that. It's like, there are actually other people who are affected by this. And I feel like artists in general, whether it's musicians or otherwise, tend to sort of be at the low end of the totem pole. And so, again, you know, it's kind of speaking to the mission here about aggregating the economic, uh, you know, power of the music scene and the artist scene. Hopefully we can get folks who are making some of these policy decisions around real estate, for example, to say, hey, wait a minute, before we do this, let's just realize the negative economic impact we're going to have for forcing these venues to do this. So I, I think ultimately this stuff rolls downhill to musicians, you know, promoters, we're somewhere in the middle of it. But eventually, these problems all affect the artists at the most basic level.
That was Excuse Generator by Lithix. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Philip Graham, Jason Fellman, Mara McLaughlin, and Chris Young. So there's going to be a big gathering of everybody since we've done all these little gatherings of different sort of types of people and genre and, and all that sort of thing. When is the big gathering happening? The big gathering is September 19th at Holocene. The goal being we've sort of created these little sub-communities, but we are all connected. What happens to a punk musician impacts a country musician. What happens to a manufacturer or any venue that closes impacts everybody down the chain. So it's really the interdependency that now we want to dive into. And also, I think what we found from a lot of groups is that everybody feels a little isolated. They're not connected to their own sort of genre or industry tribe. And they're also not connected to others. And if you're not connected and you're not networking and you're not collaborating, you're not actually maximizing the creative potential for all parts of the music system. So we're really excited to get everybody together. People that haven't come to other things or want to know more, there will be all of us board members there talking like crazy and happy to share and to hear what's needed and how we go forward. You know, the interesting thing about that is that most of the stakeholders that you talk to, I can't speak about the manufacturers, but I can tell you like venues, promoters, musicians, and the like, we all have this victim mentality. Like it's interesting. There's a sort of general lack of empowerment that people feel about it. You talk to anybody in the scene, they all come in. They're always, all they want to talk about is what's happening to them. And so again, looking at something like Music Portland, part of the reason why we're encouraging folks to sign up and fill out their profiles and do that sort of thing is that we want to flip that script. So that, you know, we as a music community are no longer feeling like we're on the defensive all the time, but we're actually like taking our economic muscle and flexing it and, and advocating for that, which ultimately will lead to a better economy in the, in the state of Portland. Yeah, I always wonder when I'm at these gatherings, you know, and we have 50 rock musicians assembled in a room, all really engaged and talking and sort of seeing possibilities and a little light kind of going off in their eye as they're like, wait a minute, it could be different. I wonder about the thousands of rock musicians out sitting in bars places, sipping whiskey and bitching. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a call to action, people. You can enjoy your gripes, but I think standing up and standing together is really where we can make change. It's also going to be one of the biggest challenges because yeah, I'm sure I know the musicians union will attest to this and everybody who has tried to do loading zones will attest to this. But like, I remember not that long ago when I think I want to say it was, the, it was either the union or something, uh, something related to the, the loading zones. And, and the attempt was to get like 50 signatures. It was amazing how hard it was just to get 50 signatures because I know 50 musicians, like the first 50 names in my phone who would all sign up for this thing in principle. And so, again, I think, you know, part of the challenge here is, is really getting out the megaphone and making sure that everybody knows that this is going on because I think everybody wants it. But, getting, you know, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. People have to meet us partway and get engaged, at least at the organizational level, so that we have the power to go and do something with that engagement. And that's why it's nice to have musicportland.org, because you can do that from your home, 
your safe space. You don't have to leave. Or the you bar can with just whiskey. Get. You could do it right from there. <laughs> or you can go to the bar yeah. with whiskey. But, yeah. but we do we do want to find ways to facilitate offline interactions that aren't just concerts, you know, because I mean, you know, a band can play like a three band bill and maybe really bond with those two other bands that they're playing with, but there's a lot of other people in the audience, you know, like this, this is a local community. And so I think, and you know, and then it is like, you know, when, when a band can meet a microphone manufacturer or can like just have a very normal conversation with someone who runs a record label or something like that, you know, we, we can just kind of like facilitate these discussions and interactions and just kind of normal kind of community gatherings and, you know, see what, crops out of those kind of things because I know that all of us in this room can name some incredible cross collaborations that have happened in this city whether it is music and food or you know country and punk or you know whatever that is the beauty of Portland is that people are very open to trying new things and so I think that we hope to facilitate you know some of those interactions and there are lots of really great sort of organic meetups that happen all across the city. In fact, there's a place for people to post those. This is not shows, but if you've got a meetup that you're putting together and you want music people to get together socially so that we start to build those bridges, there's a submit an event section on musicportland.org. It is not, like Chris said, it's not about Music Portland authorship. We're trying to knit together a lot of the organic things that already happen in this town, make them easier, more accessible, and more inclusive. But I think also we've been talking about setting up slightly more formal things through Music Portland, like we've talked about speed dating, you know, where you actually have a chance to talk with a whole series of record labels or a whole series of producers, you know, and it's about really kind of helping to focus some of those social music gatherings to things that are really issue-specific. And I know, you know, professional development is also another thing we've heard from a lot of people. How do we kind of level up the Portland community, both musicians and venues and all of these different groups, so that we really are sort of leveling up and becoming a place where you don't have to move away when you become successful? Oh, yeah, that's a really important point. And the tagline, I think you've already said it, the tagline on the website is independent together. And I feel like it's always important, especially for record labels, because record labels tend to think I'm independent, which means I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I'm just going to sit here by myself and, and do it all myself. And I've found out in the last 20 years that actually we do need each other, you know, and also that there isn't a finite pie and we're not just, you know, you don't have to grab your crumb and hang on for dear life. And then if you let go of that crumb, someone's get, else is going to get it. It's like when we all work together, there's actually just a bigger and bigger pie. It's kind of amazing. I mean, I feel like I've heard Jason talk about this many times before, but it's individual bands leveraging each other's audiences. I mean, there, there's a huge opportunity there because... You know, if you're playing on a bill together, it's, you know, it may be likely that your fans do have some alignment or some overlap and and you can, you know, like really there's nothing more boring than a band that, you know, posts every other week about their next show. It's just so self-promotional. But it's more interesting when you're talking about other cool things that are happening and other cool events and, you know, other interesting bands that, that might be similar to you or just being witty and funny, which doesn't come naturally to everyone <laughs> on social media. It was interesting at the rock gathering 
how much of them were talking about and kind of enthusiastically supporting the idea of cross-genre bills. They're really eager to kind of say, great, here's this, you know, screamo punk band and they're playing with an electronic band. The idea of kind of mixing those things up, one of my favorite weird things that happens in Portland, there's a medieval band that plays in bars. And they have been very confused because they've they've garnered this following from metal musicians. You know, it's like when you can create more of those moments that are acknowledging that Portland doesn't have an anchor genre. You know, we're not bound by one thing that we're known for. We're bound by this sort of unbridled creativity and the next big thing. That's what Independent Together is talking about. It's saying you're a microphone company that figured out an entirely new way to do something, and you're an indie label that is doing it differently, and you're a musician that isn't a Me Too band. That's what we're celebrating collectively. And I think that's the opportunity to continue to grow the Portland brand that's just evolved so far organically. It's not going to keep going organically, but we have clear models and power to make it grow strategically and make it a better place to do all kinds of business, including being a, a musical entrepreneur. That was Giant Brain by Wimps. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Philip Graham, Jason Fellman, Mara McLaughlin, and Chris Young. I think it's also a great opportunity for us to shine some light on the darkness. You know, I feel like this podcast, of course, itself is an educational effort. I mean, Vortex is pretty much an educational effort. You know, it's like we're all going to do better if we know more about the business that we're in. And it's always true that musicians do better 
for themselves in the long run if they know what they're doing from a business perspective. And so it's actually, it's not taking anything away to open this up, this community up, and actually have people communicating across genre lines or across whatever manufacturers talking to promoters, cats, dogs, living together, <laughs> all of those things, you know, because it's only good for everybody in the long run to understand how the system works. You know, it's, it's never good. I mean, if I can only imagine that bands must love to talk to you, Jason, about like, how does promotion work? Like, how do you it's bands get? It's a hot topic. Get- yes. <laughs> we were actually, Chris and I were just talking about, you know, we produce these, you know, about four times a year. We did the live PDX music business forum and the topics range from, licensing to show promotion to social media and we're always trying to think about sort of what the next thing is and the feedback we've gotten from folks is that they do I mean I think the market is hungry for that type of education although again I I, I think it's 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 a, it's it's a challenge to get people off of their couch and mm-hmm. to go actually do something but that's a, you know that's a human nature separate kind of conversation I think the important thing is that we continue to serve up these opportunities for people to learn promote them and over time they'll grow And also sharing knowledge. I think one of the other opportunities for face-to-face interactions, particularly around a slightly more intentional topic, is that you have elder musicians that have been there, done there, seen that. And then you've got younger musicians that are coming up and going, I don't know what to do. It isn't just sort of industry experts that talk about it. Talking amongst yourselves around a kind of focused topic it's already happened at these gatherings. It's been incredibly mm-hmm. great to see people immediately going, oh, I actually know what you need to do for that, or this is the resource that you need to touch for that. Or, And I think those are just incredibly invaluable. I've even had a corporate contact say, you know, maybe there's like patronage of a particular band we want to do, or, you know, maybe there's a way to support mentorship between bands through a grant program. Every conversation I have opens up new possibilities. And again, it's about your listeners as a community that is invested in this and a team assembled here with others who are invested in supporting you, standing up, getting involved, fill out a profile. Excellent. I mean, I think we, we really ultimately want to work with the musicians and businesses that really are taking themselves seriously as, you know, I, I want to be a professional at this. You know, this is what I want to do as a career. And not all of that is just like creating the cool product, you know. So it's like we all listen to the future of what and we get, you know, like this one-way messaging because we've got these experts, you know, diving deep into a subject matter. And then Jason and I have done something similar to that with our panels. But then, you know, at a certain point, yeah, you do. You just get the audience like talking to literally to each other. And then I think a further step that Music Portland can explore or, you know, there's other opportunities with partners out there is like some kind of more formalized, you know, hands-on education, like an actual like course, you know, like, you know, like a workshop or something like that. Because I think that that too, you know, it's like it only gets so far when you're you you take a lot of information in it's like you really need to try it you know to try that out yourself and see where you can take it with that and you know and I think there are some cool opportunities because just through you know doing some of this music Portland stuff too you know we connected with someone at Portland Community College and learned about this recording studio that they have there and they have all these music classes where I came to understand that each instructor kind of puts their own little flavor into the course of some kind of music business 
real world, you know, reality check kind of thing. But I think it'd be really interesting to have an entire course of doing that. And that would be an amazing thing to have at the community college level here in Portland that would be very accessible to a lot of people. So I don't know any way that we can look to further kind of like the hands-on learning experiences. Definitely. And people with ideas can bring them to musicportland.org. Always. Always. Okay, so we've got go to musicportland.org and fill out a profile. Become a member if you want to. We'd love to have you. Free and for musicians. Free <laughs> for musicians, yes. And come to a gathering if you want to in your genre, but then definitely come to the big gathering. September 19th at Holocene. Mm-hmm. Starts at 7. You can go to musicportland.org. You'll see the event. Is it free? It is free. And it is, it's definitely people that make music, support music, not necessarily the fan base. That really is, you know, that'll be other events. And we have other agendas building out to support and engage the fan community. But right now we're really focusing, let's get our tribe together. The mus- and so musicians and music industry people. Musicians and music industry people and venue people. Great. And promoters. So let's get... September 19th. September 19th. And there will be booze. There will be booze. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> Just, we have the, the booze will be, will be not free. Aww. Well, I know. I know. <laughs> if we build our membership, these are the kinds of initiatives we can support. Yes, the free booze initiative. Yeah. <laughs> the free booze initiative. Man, we get every musician in Portland. I was going to say, maybe we're on the wrong path. There. We should <laughs> lead out with that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Absolutely. Thanks for thank us. you. Thanks. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Horse Feathers, Lithics, Wimps, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.